Welcome to Real Talk for Real Teachers. I'm Dr. Becky Bailey, the creator of Conscious Discipline, an expert in education, child development, and a lifelong teacher and learner. For those listening who are not aware of Conscious Discipline, it is a comprehensive, brain-based, trauma-informed self-regulation program. And remember now, the goal of self-regulation is to move us from a reactive person to a more conscious, responsive person. And I can tell you, we all need this. I'm having the windows changed in my house, and we're lucky to have two installers still alive after a confrontation with me. So I got pretty reactive, uh, calmed myself down, became responsive, and I'm still trying to repair those relationships. (laughs) So the last several of our podcasts have been focused around topics helping listeners understand that self-regulation is not age-specific. We heard from a teacher of special needs children. We heard from a CI, one of our master instructors, talking about the impact of conscious discipline on her marriage. And today we're talking with a high school teacher. So think about it. Self-regulation requires us to see a credible model. We need to know that we see someone regulating himself. We see someone almost get upset and hold back and control those impulses and do it different. We see someone like me with the window guys, you know, become a kind of a raving lunatic and pull it back and then try to regain composure and actually talk to them as if we we're both humans trying to solve a problem. So it happens at any age for us to become a model. So think of the adults who work with a one-year-old. Well, they can be any age. They can be 18 all the way up to 110. Think about adults working with high school students. You know, they're 25 to however they get before they retire. So conscious discipline in general is an ageless program. We are all in this together. And the more of us that can learn to self-regulate, the better we will all be able to live together in productive and harmonious ways. So today we're talking about conscious discipline in high school. Now, two huge things happen during the adolescent years. Those of you who've had adolescent are probably well aware of these two huge things. So once I explain them to you, then you would wonder why in the world isn't high school clamoring to infuse social-emotional learning, to infuse self-regulation, to infuse this into high schools? Well, here are the two things. So first, the prefrontal lobes, now that's the CEO of the brain, are under major reconstruction as they mature. So this is similar to the chaos at my house with the windows being taken out and put in. So there is a bit of chaos going on as we upgrade the window system. And adolescents, children are upgrading their prefrontal lobes. They're upgrading the CEO of their brain. And as they do that, that upgrade process requires a bit of chaos and moments of Unclarity. And this unclarity that we experience as we interact with teenagers is not perceived from their point of view. They're very conscious of the times that the prefrontal lobe is online and not so conscious of when it's offline. So that's how they convince you that, you know, I know what I'm doing and how to do it and just leave me alone and you don't understand me. Because we are aware as adults when it's online and when it's offline. So they're in a unique position uh, to see the world through their own unique eyes. 
Now, this process of developing the prefrontal lobes takes 24 years. But what happens is these prefrontal lobe development and integration allow us access to what's called our executive skills. Now, these are such things as time management, attention, organization, metacognition, thinking about our thinking, goal achievement, and impulse control, and empathy, just to name a few. So ideally, we really want that stuff online when they get a driver's license. Now, what this means is that during the adolescent years, they actually move from more reactive behavior to a more proactive person that can regulate impulses and insecurities, set and achieve goals, and get along with others. But this process doesn't happen in a smooth way. It's almost like those uh, fluorescent lights you have, usually in the laundry room or something, when they start to go bad. They go... Sometimes they're on and sometimes they're off. This is what happens to the prefrontal lobe in adolescence. Sometimes it's on. They make a lot of sense. They make wise decision. And sometimes it's off. And it all goes out the window, so to speak, using my today's metaphor. So the second thing that happens in adolescence is there's two vital pathways in the brain that begin to mature, even though it's kind of going on and off. They're on the road to maturity. It's the how to do it pathways and whether I should do it or not pathway. And what everyone knows is the how to do it pathway matures way before whether to do it pathways do. Now, what this means that adolescents can successfully do things they shouldn't do. So with just that in mind, you would think we would want SEL programs. We would want self-regulation for our older students, our adolescents, so that they can manage the changing brain they're charged with maturing. So today we're going to talk to Steve Hummer, a high school teacher who kind of came in the back door to discover conscious discipline. As he says it, he married into it almost. He came to conscious discipline after being exposed by his wife, Julie, who has worked in the conscious discipline organization almost since its inception. She is my editor and a beautiful writer, and thanks to her, we have books that help you and me garner a lot from this program. Steve attended the Infant Toddler Institute with Julie about seven years ago to become a better father and quickly realized how the program can be used in his high school classroom. He has a BA in history from James Madison University, a master's in curriculum instruction from George Mason University. He's taught high school for the last 13 years, and many of you have seen his daughter, Maddie, in videos during your conscious discipline trainings. So I'd like to welcome to you, Steve. Okay, Steve, I know you've been listening to what I've been saying, so why don't you take it from here and tell us why you think conscious discipline belongs in high schools and why you've made it a mission of yours. I think a lot of times when people think of social-emotional programs, they think of early education, they think of preschool, and a lot of times they don't think about the high school level, which I find to be very interesting. Uh, I think high schools are in great need, definitely now, now more than ever, of having social-emotional programs, like conscious discipline, for example. Um, High schools are a time where there is a lot of stress and pressure and anxiety, and you have young people who we, we try to think of as young adults But in a lot of cases, and for most of them, they're truly not. They're not there. Their brains aren't fully developed. They don't have the centers that they need to make good decisions and know how to to channel their emotions or to regulate their emotions 
but we think they do, and we treat them that way. And what we find is that these kids internalize, and they, they put this stuff inside. And then we see a lot of times that that's dangerous. That's when they act out and they lash out. And if they just had, just had a system in place and, and an environment where they could feel safe, where they could learn to regulate their emotions, where they could learn to deal with it instead of pushing it down and hiding it, we would probably create a little bit of better community, a better society as a whole. Uh, in high school, I've been in the classroom now for 12 and a half, almost 13 years. Uh, at the high school level, teaching uh, anywhere from ninth graders, 15-year-olds, all the way up until seniors, uh, 17, 18-year-olds. And, and they're all the same. Uh, these kids come in, and we see them, and we say, well, look, they're, they have language, and they have all these words, and they can speak, and you know, they seem like you know, young adults. And in reality, a lot of times, they don't have the skills that, that we think they do. Uh, it's easier when we see young children the preschoolers and the elementary age kids because they don't have the language. They shouldn't have the skills. We, we, we know that. But we kind of assume that once they get to high school, they do. And in most cases, they a lot of them don't. Um, so, so conscious discipline is a wonderful way that I've found to sort of help fill that in. And a lot of times without them even really knowing that they're learning it. Because as we know, with high schoolers, they're cynical. Uh, they, they think they know it. And they don't look for that help. And you have to find ways to do it where you're teaching them through modeling the behavior. You're teaching them by doing it with them and walking them through it and not making it a thing. You can't make it something that's out there as a program necessarily. You build it in and it's just what you do. It's how you do your classroom. Again, like you do with the younger kids, but there's a little bit less of the of the structure, I think, in, in high schools because uh, you just build it into what you do in your daily routines and your daily activities. And you don't necessarily need the visuals because they do have the language. They have the ability to understand it if you give it to them in ways that they can. Now, high schools are important too. I think it's a big deal in high school now because our kids are under a great deal of pressure. High schools, since we got into this high stakes testing business, we got these No Child Left Behind programs, Everything is about that big test or the big test at the end. It's about taking big tests. And teachers in high school have shifted the way they teach. A lot of them shifted to that test-taking model. And what that means is you have one chance. There's one shot at it. And if you mess up, you're done. Well, you do that to students long enough. They figure out that there's one answer. There's one fit. And that's a lot of stress. That's a huge amount of stress. And they don't know how to deal with that. They don't feel safe. What it also does is it causes them to have this mentality. It's me against everyone else. I'm comparing myself against every single person. Because when you do testing and you have class ranks and you're showing kids, hey, this person did this, you got this grade and you got this grade and I'm going to compare the two of you. That's really what it comes down to. So now instead of this environment and this, this idea that we're in this together, it's me against you. I have to do better than you. And you start to see that in, in high school a lot more because the students are, feel like they're competing against one another. I have to be better than you. Well, when you have that mentality, you don't get a whole lot of collaboration. You don't get a whole lot of people working to build community. It's, I have to be better than you. So I'm going to be secretive. I'm going to keep this from you. I'm not going to share. Students don't feel like they can share. 
And even with emotions, they can't show weakness. If they were to show some kind of a weakness, somebody could exploit that. That's ridiculous. These are young people. These are our young adults. This is our, the kids that we're trying to teach to go out into the world. That shouldn't be the way they're thinking already. We shouldn't be building this kind of me against everybody else. Because if that's what they're learning, that's what they're taking out into the world. And that's why, that's why we have some of the problems that we do, why we're not looking out for one another. Instead, why not create an environment where students feel safe, where they feel comfortable, and where they are available and ready to learn? And that's the biggest thing I think that we could take from this. If you create an environment where students feel welcome and they feel safe, then they're going to be available to learn. They're going to be ready to learn. And that means they can take chances. If students come in and they always feel like somebody is looking to take their spot or take advantage of them, then they're not going to take risks. They're not going to take a chance. They're not going to grow. And they're not going to express their feelings. They're not going to learn how to get their their emotions in check. Instead, they're going to push it down. They're going to hide it. And all that does is build up. And we see that time and time again, where students don't feel safe and they're not available to truly learn. They want to find an answer, but they don't, they, and they want to find the answer, the one answer, but they don't necessarily figure out how to get there, how to think about it, how to collaborate. And they truly don't learn those skills that they need. So much talk over the last few years has been about inclusion in the classroom. And this doesn't create an inclusive classroom. It creates a separated one. So conscious discipline is more of a program where you're asking students to come together and work together and feel safe, feel like they can share. And in my classroom, that's what it looks like. That's why I've shifted to this model, why I've started using this program in my room over the last few years and and slowly building it in to what I do. And that's the key. It's got to be slow. It's got to be a kind of a natural fit. And you make it work for you. With conscious discipline, it's about the principles I have found. It's about the brain and how the brain works. And we all we all work differently. The brains are, are our brains are unique. And you have to find the way to make it work for you in your classroom. And the program allows for that. The course allows for it. You take the powers and the skills and you modify them to work. And they do. If you take them and just kind of naturally make them part of what you do, they work. Kids become safer. They feel safe. They want to come to your room, which in other models, students come in and they feel isolated. They don't feel like a part of anything. And in high school especially, if you think about it, in elementary school, those students go around the full day and they stay with the same students, the same teachers, and they're a unit. It's easy to build a community because you're always with the same people. In high school, you move around. You have different combinations of kids and students together and teachers, and you're moving around a building and you don't stay together. So, of course, it's really easy to kind of get lost, and students do get lost. They shuffle to the back of the room. They go to different classes and they don't know anybody, so they're quiet, and they don't make connections with other students and with teachers. Conscious discipline allows for me to, in my classroom, create an environment where at least maybe it's for one block out of the day, the students feel like they have connection with something. We're going to come in here and we're going to be together. And you're going to have one place, even if it's just one place in this building, where you're going to feel like somebody cares and a group of people care and we're all looking out for one another. Then you've got that with me. You've got it in this room. And I can tell you, it just builds. My hope 
I'm not trying to, you know, make sweeping changes at my school. My hope is that I do it from my room and then it grows out. People start to see, wow, this really works. And it's happening in my room this year. My students, I had them come in. I said, you know, this year I'm going to give up some power. We need to give up some of our power. We try to teach students, we're, we're training them to become members, hopefully productive members in a democratic society, a re- Republican form of government where they're going to be represented and they need to be able to go out and participate in this government to make this community work. They have to be able to do their part. And we train them to do that in a system that's pretty much autocratic. I'm the boss. You listen to me. You want to say, sorry, you're a kid. You don't get a say. And I started to think about it. And then, and I thought, well, how can we train young people? That's our job to train them to go be a part of our society, to go help us move forward in the society. How can we train them to become members of a democratic society if we're teaching them in an autocratic system? That's counterintuitive. So instead, I said, you know, this year we're going to do it differently. I have kids tell me every year that they feel like school, high school especially, is like a prison because everything is dictated to them. In elementary school, it's a little more fun. It's free. It's new. And and they have a lot more fun there. By the time you get to high school, it's all laid out for you. The classes you have to take to graduate, to get this diploma, to go to this college. You have to do this, this, and this. And the rules are clear. You do this, you do this, you do this. The bell rings, you move. And, you know, you sit in your desk and you're quiet and you take notes and then you take the test and you move on. And I thought, that doesn't work, that we're teaching them the wrong things. And students would tell me year after year that it feels like a prison. And I thought, that's not what learning is supposed to be. That's not preparing students to be contributing members to a society. So how can we do it differently? So this year I I said, you know, I'm going to give up some of that power. I'm going to give that power back to them. That power has been taken away from them. I want to give it back. And the first thing I had to do was realize that it wasn't about me. Learning's not about the teacher. And that's hard for high school teachers to learn. That's a hard lesson. Because for the longest time, we are the keepers of the content. And we're, we really do feel that it's necessary to, for us to be in power, in charge, so that we can get our content to them. Because that's the most important thing. And the realization is that it's, it's not the most important thing. They can't get the content if they don't feel connected. They don't actively get the content. They don't actively learn if they're not connected. So I said, you know, it's time to back up. It's time to go back to what's important. And that is the relationship, the connection with the students, making sure that every single kid that walks in my room, every single block gets that same connection, gets that same piece and gets some power that allows them to grow. And that means every kid gets a say, every kid gets some power not just one or two, not just the smart kids, or not just the kids that have the IEPs that need that special attention, but every single kid from top to bottom feels welcome and loved and cared about in my room so that they are now available to learn. Because we know that the kids that come in that don't feel that connection and there's something going on outside, they're not available because they're worrying about whatever it is that's going on. My mission is get them to feel safe, and then we can do the learning. And that's what we've done. So this year I said, you know what? It's not my rules. It's our rules. This is our room. And I've approached it from day one as this is our class. How do we want it to be? How do we want to set this up? So at the high school level, these kids have language and they have the ability to think and voice opinions. And they truly do it in a way 
that is amazing if you give it to them and you allow them to do it. So at the beginning of the year, in every single class, I said, what's our goal? Why are we here? And I gave them that opportunity to determine, like, what is it that we're trying to do here? And they did great. They came up with it as a class. That was the entire lesson for the day, was we are going to come to consensus. We will not write anything down, hard, cores, in stone, until every single person can agree to it. Everybody has to say we're okay before we move forward. And we came up with our goal. And what is that goal? And what does it look like? Well, the goal is, what are we trying to get done this year? What is our objective, our goal for the year? Why are we here? We wrote it on the board. And once we agreed to it, I said, now, how do we do it? What do we need to do? And I gave them some suggestions, but I kind of left it up to them. And what we came up with were our, our agreements. How are we going to discuss How are we going to treat each other in the room? How are we going to do our work? How are we going to keep ourselves from being distracted? What are the mechanisms that we need? And it wasn't me saying, you're going to put your cell phone in in this box over here when you come in, and you're going to sit still all class, and you can't go to the bathroom. It was, well, what do we need to be successful to reach our goal? And the things that they came up with were amazing. These kids decided on their own as a whole, and I'm talking classes of anywhere from 18 to 30 kids, 30 teenagers, came to consensus and would say things like, you know, we're going to put our phones away and we're only going to use them when we take a break. And they committed to it. They said, we will do that. Now, are they perfect with it? Absolutely not. But what we did was we wrote every one of these commitments on the piece of paper. I laminated and put it on the wall. So I have six of them up on my wall right now for all the six, all six classes that I teach. And they're different. Not everyone's the same. They have the same essence and the same principles, but they're a little different to match the class. And every single one of those kids, it, all I have to do is remind them, which we do regularly. You know, we start class and every couple classes, I'll point them out. Or if there's somebody not kind of going along with what we agreed to, all I have to do, and sometimes it's not even me, it's students in the class, is point to the wall and say, you know, we had an agreement. Do we need to revisit these? I also give them the opportunity at any time. I say, you know, these aren't in stone. We can we can move. We can be flexible. Another thing that's kind of lost in schools, especially high schools, we can be flexible. These are not in stone. We put them on the wall to remind ourselves But if we ever come to a point where we say, this one's not working, then we figure out a way to fix it. We decide as a class, we, we're a culture of we in my room. It's ours, not mine. And I said, we can change this. And you know what? To this point, we haven't had to because they did a good job at the beginning. Well, I do this in my room and the kids obviously leave and go other places and they have other environments and other teachers and other ways they do it. But every so often, I'll have teachers come in, and they'll see those on my wall. And sometimes we have little walkthroughs and learning walks that we do, and where other teachers come and see us, and we go see them. And recently, I had teachers in my room, and they came into a class where they have some of the same students I had. And they walked in, and my students are working in groups, and they're engaged, and they're working. And they came up to me, and they said, whoa, whoa, what is this? How did you get that kid, one particular kid, how did you get him to do anything? He won't do anything in my class. I can't get him to do anything. And I just looked at him and said, well, I I don't know. What have you asked him to do? What have you allowed him to do? And she just kind of looked at me and I said, you know, 
I give him opportunities to learn, and I give him opportunities to do the things he needs to do. And he lives up to it. I don't, I don't push it on him, but I say, here's what you can do and, and how you can do it. And we have conversations. And when he's not working, I ask him why. And I check to see what's going on. And this is a kid that I know is having some problems. So you, I took a few minutes, and I don't think automatically that he's you know, not wanting to do it. But there's probably something else going on. And to a person, they also looked at my board and they said, well, what, what are these things? What, are, what's, what do you have on your wall that you wrote up here? And I said, that's another thing that we do here. That's how we have agreed to work. And it's theirs. I gave them that ownership. And because of that, well, that's why all my kids are working right now. And they just looked at me like, well, how do you do? Why? I said, well, we'll talk about it later. But that's my thing. I'm going to do it in my room. I don't want everybody to do it. They don't have to. But in my corner of my high school, I want to use conscious discipline. I want my kids to feel safe. I want them to want to come to my room. I want them to feel available to learn when they're with me. And the hope is that they'll take that to other places, whether it's to get other teachers to say, this is what we want, or if it's just that they know that, you know, I can get through this other class and then I know I can go see Mr. Hummer. I know I can get back to that room. I know I can go there. Or if they have a problem, they're not, something's not going their way, they know they can come see me and I can help them, help them get to that next step because they feel safe with what we do. Now, the last piece I want to talk about a little bit today, and then hopefully we'll do more of these in the future and I can touch on specific things. I know this has been very general, but teachers, you know, I started with the students because they really are why we do what we do. They are the most important thing. But for that to happen, there have to be teachers and there have to be teachers that are available and ready to learn. Again, why I love conscious discipline, why I go into school every day with a smile on my face, even if I'm tired or I know I've got a hard day, I go in with a smile because I can take a minute and and know that I can take some time for myself to get myself ready. And I can do that within my room because I feel safe there as well. My students are so loving and caring at this point uh, because of the culture and the, the sense of community we've built that if I do come in and I'm having a, few, I, I'm having a hard day or I'm having a hard moment or, or whatever it is, for whatever reason, I've actually had kids say to me, Mr. Hummer, what, what's going on? You, you, look, you look like something's up or you look sad or you look, you look upset. And it's amazing that they would feel safe enough to say that to me because a lot of times they won't say that to their teachers. And they've actually said to me, do you, you know, are you okay? Do you need a minute? Um, can we help you with anything? My kids do that for me. So I think what's important about this is this sense of we're building a community for our students, but we're also building a community for ourselves. Teachers now feel so overwhelmed a lot of times, and they feel stretched thin, and they don't feel valued, and they feel kind of overwhelmed. I guess overwhelmed is the best sense um, because we're being asked to do more. I think the famous phrase that we hear a lot of times is do more with less, do more with less. And that can be hard. And I've got classes, like I said, with 30 students. And that's hard. That's a lot of students. And sometimes it it, it becomes overwhelming, not just for me, but for everybody. And I think the beauty of conscious discipline is it allows me, it allows the teacher to be a part of the environment, to know that they can take a few seconds or a moment or two and get themselves right, to get themselves back, to regulate, to breathe, to 
feel that emotion. I mean, feel your emotion, understand it, um, and then actually work through it and do that with the kids. They're there, and a lot of times they're, they're open and willing to help. But to do that, it helps create the environment. But I guess the beauty of conscious discipline is this idea that it all starts with me. I'm the adult in the room. I'm the one that's going to lend my prefrontal lobe to these, these young people. But it also allows for me to know, and it teaches, that before I can do any of that, i got to take care of myself. And I think the beauty is that once you've created the environment, it allows for that. It allows me to get myself ready and prepared to meet my day and to meet my students and to be there for them. And it allows them to help me do that too. And I think that's probably one of the most rewarding things about using conscious discipline and being a high school teacher that does is that once you create this community and you build these relationships with the kids, it comes back to you over and over again on a daily basis. And I have kids that that stop in to see me when they don't have me that day um, to talk. Uh, sometimes it's about something else going on in their lives, but they they feel safe to confide in me with, which I know they don't with a lot of the people in the building. And I think for me, that's one of the, the best parts of the job and one of the best parts about being someone using conscious discipline in the high schools. My hope is that we get more people and that we build this thing and we create a system and a curriculum so that we can move this on and move it out to the high schools because they need it. There are people out there that are hurting. There are students that are hurting. There's teachers that are hurting and communities that truly, truly need a program that allows them to build community through love and through cooperation and all the right ways, just using the right ways to get people together. Wow, Steve, such a important word, especially now in our society, using the right ways to get people together. Now, not everyone knows this, but I know you live outside of D.C., so we're counting on you, Steve, uh, to do big things out there. But really what I want to say is thank you, Steve. Just thank you. And our takeaway is something I'm sure resonates with all of us. Children, parents, teachers, we are all in this together, and we need to feel safe enough to be open enough to be available for learning. And again, even though I was joking about maybe at the politics of our time, it's something we all can hear and be available for each other to negotiate and communicate. So um, I'm excited that you're out there, Steve. I'm excited that you're starting this small but powerful movement with high school kids. And just to be able to be a part of your life is fun for me. So what is Becky up to? Well, I'm going to Disney World. Speaking of Steve, I'm going to Disney World with the grandkids. So I'm looking for a fun week with uh, Maddie, uh, Savannah, Steve, and Julie. So we're going to go see if we can get a few fast passes and and get through the the lines as quick as possible. What about a celebration? Well, this is good news. We have started, it's in process now, translating the Conscious Discipline book, Building Resilient Classrooms, into Spanish. So it's been on our list, and it's in forward progress, and I'm so excited that we're going in that direction. So for that and all the beautiful things we can be grateful for at this moment, let's take a deep breath. Exhale slowly. Think of something you're deeply, deeply grateful for. Bring that teeny tiny smile to the corners of your mouth. 
Until next time, I wish you well. For more episodes of Real Talk with Real Teachers by Dr. Becky Bailey, visit ConsciousDiscipline.com forward slash podcasts. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app.